0: Welcome to this Chicago Symphony Orchestra virtual pre-concert with your host, Johann Baes. We are privileged to hear a remarkable program of three works. The last two compositions are fairly well-known, and the opening piece is unknown to most audiences. My name is Johann Baes, I am currently visiting professor at the Schulich School of Music at McGill University in Montreal, Canada. Normally, I am on faculty at Wheaton College in Illinois. Today's program is one that is centered mostly in the second half of the 19th century, starting with Augusta Olmey's roughly six minute long work called Night and Love, La Nuit et l'Amour. It was premiered in 1888 during her 41st year of life. The second item on the program is Saint-Saëns' first cello concerto, Opus 33, premiered in 1873 when he was 37 years old. The cello concerto lasts roughly 20 minutes. The last item on the program is Schumann's Symphony Number no. 2 in C major, Opus 61, that was premiered in 1846 before the other two works on the program. Schumann's Second Symphony was premiered in his 36th year and it lasts around 37 minutes. Gratitude is a disposition that we recognize and appreciate even more these days. The things that we take for granted are the very things for which we show little gratitude. When these things are taken away from us, we miss them all the more. Receiving treasured items back after their absence fills us with gratitude. This is the case of concerts at our beloved Chicago Symphony Orchestra. We recognize that having been without the live performances and regular season's offerings, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra's performances mean so much more to us than simply our love of hearing the music. So gratitude is the overwhelming sense with which we approach this program of three works from the 19th century. Another impulse to our sense of gratitude is the fact that the soloist in Schumann's Cello Concerto No. 1 in A minor is none other than the principal cellist of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, John Sharp. May I point out a small observation that I'm sure you might find worthy of consideration. Most orchestral players are exceptional soloists, how else would they win orchestral auditions if they could not do the literature with the excellence of soloists? However, when these remarkable musicians agree to join an orchestra, their solo careers often take a back seat to their orchestral careers. One major philosophical change takes place when a soloist takes a position in an orchestra. Self-expression, individuality, and soloistic leadership are the hallmarks of a soloist's mindset in performance. When a conductor steps onto the podium, there is a willing relinquishing of those soloistic impulses on the part of every performer in the orchestra. In return, everyone in the orchestra, capable of playing solo literature, declare themselves willing to subject their skill to the singular interpretation in the conductor's mind. Occasionally, solos in the orchestral score give principal players the opportunity to step forward and highlight their soloistic skills. But overall, the position as an orchestral player is by definition one that subjugates the personal individualistic, soloistic impulse to interpreting a piece of music, instead to the interpretation in the mind of the conductor. Today, John Sharp takes center stage, relinquishing his impulse of subjugating his soloistic skills to the mental conception of the conductor. By playing the and first Cello Concerto, John Sharp assists and asserts his self-expression, individuality, and social, so, soloistic leadership. The conductor now takes the cue from the soloist. John Sharp rightly deserves to be heard in this wonderful concerto, one of the most popular of all cello concertos. Augusta Olmey was a woman of Irish descent, but took on French citizenship after 1871. In the process, she changed her name from Augusta Holmes to Augusta Olmey. She was born in 1847 and passed away in her 56th year in 1903. She was a contemporary of Dvorak, Massenet, and Chabrier, and others, all born during the 1840s. At a time when women were discouraged as composers, she asserted her early genius in music, poetry, and painting, and took her place in the ranks of composers in Paris. She pursued music composition professionally, Against the will of her parents as the only child of her parents, she was fortunate to inherit a substantial sum from her father's estate, setting her up for a comfortable living. She published her music under her own name after initially publishing briefly under a male pseudonym Herman Centa. She also owned the publishing rights to her work. Moving in the Parisian artistic circles, she was a student of César Franck, and she was familiar with Franz Liszt. Interestingly, she served as a nurse in 1871 during the Franco-Prussian War. And 18 years later, she was commissioned to write the impressive Aude Triomphale for the Paris Exposition of 1889. You will remember that it was at this, the Paris Exposition of 1889, the centenary of the French Revolution, that was the time when Debussy fell in love with the sound of the Indonesian gamelan, sometimes inaccurately referred to as an Indonesian gong orchestra. Subsequent piano compositions by Debussy revealed its influence on his piano compositions. As mentioned before, contrary to the conventions of the day, Augusta Olme asserted herself as a person of singular determination and willpower. We admire her for her tendency to make a living in a professional comp- composer's world that men protected for themselves. The opening item on today's program lasts roughly six minutes. It is an orchestral piece that served as an interlude of a larger work called Ludus Pro Patria, Patriotic Games, which was premiered in 1888 during her 41st year of life. Inspired by a mural of the same name, Ludus Propatria, Patriotic Games, by an older contemporary painter, she called the Ludus Propatria, Patriotic Games, an Ode Symphonie, a genre comprised of a narrator with chorus and orchestra. Its features were a mixture of a symphony and an oratorio. She was strongly influenced by Wagner and being multi-talented in music, poetry, and painting like him, she wrote the text and prescribed all the other elements of her compositions. Therefore, she strongly believed in the ideal of a total work of art, what Wagner called in German a Gesamtkunstwerk. Let's listen to the opening and closing minutes of the work. You will notice the way in which Olmé overlaps phrases and how her string writing is reminiscent of Wagner's works, particularly the prelude to Lohengrin. She loved her composition so much that she transcribed this composition in a solo piano version. Now compare the opening of Wagner's prelude to act one of his music drama, Low and Green, except for the luscious cello melody that follows the wind instruments in the beginning and omitting the ballet-inspired harp arpeggios of Augusta Olme's Night and Love, l'amour. La Nuit et L'Amour, The string writing between these two examples evoke a similar mood. Now listen to the final moments of the six-minute work called Night and Love, La Douille et L'Amour, by Augusta Olmey. Now, a word about Saint-Saëns' Cello Concerto No. 1 in A minor, opus 33. Max Derrickson writes about the context in which this first cello concerto of Camille Saint-Saëns came to light. He says, quote, Camille Saint-Saëns wrote his first cello concerto in 1872 in the wake of one of France's most extraordinary moments in history, a moment of upheaval and newness and tragedy. In the few short years before this concerto, France had experienced in short succession, a humiliating defeat at the hands of the German states in the Franco-Prussian War, the dissolution of Napoleon III's somewhat brief Second Empire, another Parisian revolt, and the setting up of the short-lived commune of Paris." End of quote. The commune of Paris was the main insurrectionary commune in 1870 to 1871, based on the principle of direct democracy. Saint-Saëns left Paris when the city was bombarded during the Franco-Prussian War and citizens suffered starvation. The French emerged from the Franco-Prussian War with a strong pride in their own identity. Artists created an interest in a new French art. This was the context into which Camille Saint-Saëns brought his first cello concerto to light. Although Camille Saint-Saëns was 12 years older than Auguste Olmé. They moved in the same Parisian artistic circles. There was a distinct difference after 1871 in the musical language of these two composers. Despite their very staunch French outlook, they had conflicting views on composing in the musical style of Germans, particularly Wagner. Olmé wrote in the German style strongly influenced in his harmonic language by Wagner, though she was vigorously French in cultural affiliation and persuasion. saint never capitulated to imitating the musical language of Wagner. Interestingly, he did write articles on the works of Wagner after 1871. In 1876, for instance, saint wrote seven long articles after he visited Bayreuth for the premier performances of Wagner's Ring of the Nibelung Cycle of Four Music Dramas. Later, starting in 1914, the year in which the First World War started, Camille saint wrote several articles he called Germanophilie, that were published in 1916. In these articles, he promoted a ban on German music during World War I, especially against the music of Wagner. One must remember that after the Prussians defeated France in the Franco-Prussian War of 1871, it was Saint-Saëns who co-founded the Société Nationale de Paris Musique. This society called for French music with the sobriquet Ars Gallica, French art. The two goals of this National French Society of Music were first to promote French instrumental music, and second, to resist any Germanic influences in their music. 40 plus years later, Saint Sans' anti German sentiment was more intense than after the Franco-Prussian War. Augusta Olme, who had embraced Wagner's music, had passed away in 1903, predating the anti-war sentiment of saint during the First World War. saint first cello concerto was premiered in 1873, after the Franco Prussian War, to rapturous applause. A commentator hailed the cello concerto as, quote, his all too obvious divergences from classicism, end of quote. The first cello concerto in A minor, opus 33, is a more serious work than the earlier three piano concertos that Sinsons had written. One notices that the work is dramatic from the very outset. Notice how the opening starts with a loud single chord in the orchestra, followed by a descending triplet pattern on the solo cello. The bold statement and the drama that ensues are a conversation between The cooperation with the orchestra and competition between the orchestra and the cello at other times. The choice of a cello as a solo instrument is significant since the most popular 19th century concertos were written for piano or violin and rarely for the cello. For this work to find great appeal from the outset and has continued to this day, one recognizes the remarkable inventiveness and craftsmanship of Saint-Saëns. Listen to the opening of the first of the three interlinked movements of the cello concerto. Saint-Saëns broke the customary rule of an orchestral introduction leading later to the appearance of the solo instrument by using a single orchestral chord to bring the soloist in immediately within a split second after the chord, he also broke another major rule. Listen to the third movement segment and tell if you recognize the similarity of we had just heard. The reappearance of thematic material with different instrumentation from the first movement in subsequent movements in this case, the third movement, is a feature common particularly among Saint-Saëns and other French composers of the 19th century. This technique is commonly known as the cyclical use of thematic material. Furthermore, Saint-Saëns weaves all three movements into one extended composition. Another feature of the cyclical use happens later with a different theme in the first movement, which reappears later in the third movement. listen to a first movement theme which reappears later in the third movement. The second movement is a minuet of exquisite lightness, complete with the customary four-bar pauses at the end of each phrase. In today's language, one would call the melody that repeats over and over an earworm, a melody that gets stuck in one's ear and that one cannot get rid of. One biographer referred to the hauntingly otherworldliness, quote unquote of the melodies of this minuet listen to the opening of the minuet setting the stage for the theme Now listen to the hauntingly beautiful first variation. Here, a counter melody on the cello displays its effective use of sustained pitches. for a change in character variation 2 provides a lilting waltz of the next variation St. Science biographer Stephen Studd suggests that the composer's sudden interest in the cello, this concerto was immediately preceded by a sonata for the same instrument, resulted from his mourning a recently departed great aunt. Studd goes on to write, quote, his feeling for the cello with its deep, dark tone and capacity for both dignified and impassioned utterance was now rekindled by the melancholy that set in after his bereavement, end of quote. Studd's argument is given more weight when one considers that he canceled all engagements for a month after the death in January 1872 of Saint-Saëns' beloved great-aunt Charlotte at the age of 91. Listen to the cadenza that appears near the end of the second movement, followed by an agitated transition lead off by the oboe. A few minutes later, the third and final movement enters the finale proceeds with reminiscences of material from the beginning, along with entirely new material that keeps this concerto surprising through to its final measures. Sir Donald Francis Tovey wrote, quote, Year for Once is a violoncello concerto in which the solo instrument displays every register without the slightest difficulty in penetrating the orchestra, end of quote. It is not surprising that several composers, including Shostakovich and Rachmaninoff, considered this concerto to be the greatest of all cello concertos. Mm -hmm. The final work in the program is Robert Schumann's Symphony No. 2 in C major, opus 61, which lasts 37 minutes. Its world premiere was given on November 5, 1846, in Leipzig, with Felix Mendelssohn conducting the Leipzig Gewandhaus Orchestra. Listen to the opening moments of each of the four movements of Schumann's Symphony No. 2 in C major. First, let's listen to the quiet, sustained opening horn call with captivating harmonies that unfold below. The second movement opens with an energetic Mendelssohn-like light-footed, lively dance, a scherzo. The third movement is a sublime adagio espressivo. Listen to this gorgeous slow movement, not the second, but the third of the four movements, an uncharacteristic feature of symphonies of the 19th century. The opening of the finale to Schumann's Symphony No. 2 in C major starts out with pure joy. describes the circumstances of the creation of the symphony in a letter to a Hamburg friend Georg Dietrich Otten as follows, quote I wrote the symphony in December 1845 when I was still ill I feel that people are bound to notice this when they hear the work only in the final movement did I begin to feel my old self again but it was only after I had completed the work that I really felt any better. Otherwise, as I say, it reminds me of a black period." End of quote. However, Leonard Bernstein seems to differ from Schumann in his opinion. And Bernstein gives us the final word I would believe. In 1957, Leonard Bernstein's assessment of Schumann's Symphony No. 2 in C major, opus 61, was as follows, the inspired lyricism that soars out of his best works, the uncanny stream of newness that succeed each other in such profusion, the warmth, the singing tides, the rhythmic ingenuities and the daring experimentalism." End of quote. These features are the characteristics, particularly the daring experimentalism, that appeal to audiences to this day. Schumann had no need to think that the audiences would regard his second symphony with skepticism due to the circumstances of its creation. May gratitude be the overwhelming sense with which we approach this program of three works from the 19th century on offer today. Thank you for listening and enjoy the concert.